With one hand, we reach back to the tried and tested principles which have dethroned principalities and powers. And with the other, we reach forward to the purpose, the power of God for a new generation. look at somebody if folks always say look at your neighbor well you got a neighbor on either side and if I'm the middle and you two look that way nobody says anything to me so find somebody and say today we're coming home come on this is going to be a great homecoming day we're going home John's gospel please chapter 14 verses 1 through 3 words to this effect the Lord Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Now, in order for that to happen, you got to turn off CNN. You got to turn off Fox News. You got to turn off your morning news feed. And you got to start with John 14. And John 14, Jesus said, hey. Oh, look, I startled the students there. Jesus said, let not your heart. That's one thing for your mind to be troubled. It's one thing for your physical body to be nervous. But it's something entirely different for your heart to be troubled. And Jesus, the Christ said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. If you do, shout amen. amen. Well, you know, 87% of all Americans believe in God. Even 50% believe what God said about heaven. But only 4% believe what God said about that other eternal destination. So it's not enough just to believe in God. Jesus goes on and says, hey, look, it. you believe in God believe also in me. I am, as the apostle Peter said, the Christos. I am the embodiment of God. I am God with us. I am the I am that I am. You say, why is that important? Well, come to my orthodoxy class on Wednesday nights and you'll understand. It's important because less than 60% of so-called Bible-believing Christians believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. I'm talking about churchgoers. I'm talking about people that go to church every Sunday. Do not have the biblical orthodoxy to understand because they have backslidden preachers who don't want to do anything but entertain. Start the sermon off low. Be rather doctoresque. Then build it up. Then bring in the organ. And tantalate your emotions. Which does nothing for you spiritually. Are you following me so far? 
Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Don't stop there. Believe also in me, Jesus. For in my Father's house are many mansions. One translation says dwelling places. Doesn't matter to me. If Jesus is there, that would be home to me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I share with you in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John everything you need to do to go to heaven. It's all right there. It's something called the gospel. All right? I would, I would have told you. And uh, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Look at somebody and say, this isn't all there is. This life is like a vapor, seen then gone. It's like the flower that rises up in the morning and fades at noonday. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. At the top of your lungs, let America and the world know the Bible says Jesus is coming again. Shout now. Yeah. Or he's a liar. Because right there in red pages, red letters on white pages said, I will come again. And he's coming the same way he left. He was here and then he wasn't. Whoop. They went. And it's going to be, he's not here. Whoop, there he is. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And I can tell you this morning that I know exactly when he's coming. In the hour and moment that you don't think, suddenly he will appear. Faster than the fleetest hoof ever struck a pavement or a wheel ever turned on an axle, he's coming. And when I come, I will receive you unto myself so that where I am there, you may be also. Shout, we're going home. We used to sing an old song. It went something like this. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, we can see it afar. <sighs> For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. Now, you may not know that part, but surely you know this part. In the sweet, we will... Go ahead, go ahead. If I trust God that I, in these 50 years of ministry, have been anything, I trust that someday they'll engrave on a stone somewhere, hopefully in eastern Kentucky, they'll engrave on a stone, here lies a gospel preacher. I got all kinds of other accolades, you know, that I really don't care anything about. What I care about is that I've spent 
these past 50 years of my life preaching not doctrines, not the rules of men, not religion, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, because the simplicity of the gospel is its power. And the power of the gospel is its simplicity. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. Shout, we're going home. And the kingdom of God is at hand. It does not mean immediacy, but it does mean imminency. It is at hand. And here is the first message of Jesus, John the Baptist, Billy Graham, Billy Sunday, and Rod Parsley. Are you ready? Jesus said it first. This is his first sermon. Repent. Look what else he said. And believe the gospel. So the first word of the gospel is not live. The first word of the gospel is, if you want to live, here's the pathway. Repent. And then Romans 2, 4 comes along, and the apostle Paul says to all of the believers' chagrin who frown when they hear the word repentance. Repentance means to turn from what harms you to what helps you. That's repentance. Paul said, it is the goodness, shout goodness, of God that leads to repentance. Now shall take us home, preacher. Harry Ironside, which is a person that every serious Bible student should know. There was a period of time where Dr. Ironside, who only went to the eighth grade, he went to the eighth grade and yet is one of the foremost theologians of three generations. He has, he's called doctor because he was given three different honorary doctorate degrees by major secular universities. Only went to the eighth grade. Little is much when God is in it. He's the former pastor of the great Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, he was so acclaimed that he was asked to preach the funeral of Billy Sunday. This is a person we should listen to. What Dr. Ironside said is this. The gospel is not good advice to be followed, but rather good news to be believed. I think you ought to shout right there. Now, we're going to go home. And when I think of home, home for me is Appalachia. <laughs> we talk different there. Don't we, Blake? We speak a little different language there. If you would go there today, they would think you talk funny. And you would think they sure enough talk funny. Because we have different words than you have for things. 
let me give you a little test. Uh, a holler. To you, that means to yell. To us, that's a place where you live. My daddy was born and lived in Groundhog Holler. Now, you would call it a hollow, but we call it a holler. It's the space dead ending between three different mountains. That's a holler. So you always lived up the holler, not down the holler. Do you understand? We, uh, we had a buggy. Now, you would think that's something you ride in. But it's not something you ride. A buggy is a shopping cart. Nary. Some of you would think Nary is a name. But Nary is not a name. It means none. Like, Nary one of you are acting like you enjoying my message. Nary one of you. Reckon. Reckon means suppose. I reckon y'all will now start enjoying my sermon. Plum. You think plum is something you eat. Plum means all the way. Y'all look plum beautiful. Please speak Appalachian around me. It will make me feel so much at home. Whether it's mountains ablaze with autumn's glory or a humble home perched on a hillside, those are the sights of my home. It may be the scent of freshly mown hay or it might be the scent of Fatback frying in a black iron skillet. Those are the smells of home. I don't want no chipotle. Have me some fatback, if you please. It might be the hometown harmony of a fine southern gospel quartet. Or it might be the whine of a coal truck in low gear, struggling to make it up the mountainside. Those are what home sounds like to me. These are unmistakable. They are irreplaceable because they are the fabric of what makes me who I am. I've observed this homeward draw in the natural world. Outdoorsmen understand the great Canadian geese and how they orient themselves by the Earth's electromagnetic waves. A bird. You think they're just flying aimlessly. They have a built-in GPS. They are following electromagnetic waves hundreds of feet above the earth. 
and with their necks outstretched and their wings out thrust, they fly northward every single spring so that they can build their nests in the place of their nativity because there is no place like home. We watched the silver salmon swimming across the open sea and then turns at exactly the right moment and the right place, guided through the pathless ocean by impulses he does not even understand but obeys and heads homeward to the stony brook of his birth because there's no place like home. Even the majestic horse can be broken of every bad habit with a bit and a bridle. But any good horseman knows you let loose on those reins and you give that horse his head. And he's heading at a full gallop. You better hold on, cowboy. Because he's headed back to his stall. Because there's no place, no place like home. You do remember little Dorothy, little red-headed Dorothy. We found that out after Color TV came out. We thought she was gray-headed. She was in black and white anyway, little Dorothy. And we had to take their word for it that those were ruby red slippers that she clicked. With her little dog, Toto. We had to receive by faith. Nor a white board cabin on a mountainside. Home is, well, home. The place where family welcomes you. The place where friends remember you. Where there's protection from every adversary and there's provision for every need. Where there's healing for every hurt. Where there's hope for every lost soul. Home. Where you feel like somebody. When you know you really ain't nobody. Now put on your traveling shoes this morning. Because mm. I can see the smoke rising from the chimney. I... I can see the front porch light shimmering through the pine trees. I can smell the honeysuckle on the vine. Don't you give up now. Don't you dare give up now. We're almost home. Dottie Rambo, the greatest songwriter of Christianity, penned these words. There's a light in the window and the table spread in splendor and someone's standing by hear me hear me an open door i can see a crystal river lord i must be near forever and i've never ever been this homesick before see the bright light shine it's just about home time i can see my father standing at the door this world's been a wilderness but i'm headed for deliverance lord jesus i've never been 
this homesick before. I want to give you just a couple gospel truths. They'll lead you to King Jesus. And thereby they'll lead you to your eternal home. The first one's very simple. 1 John 4, 8. The shortest, most complete definition of God. God is love. No, 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 no. Don't let a preacher add to it. God is love. He does not possess love like a gift he can give you like you give your dog a treat. Unconditional. Means you can't do anything to deserve it. I would that Christians would remember that after they receive it. Here's what John said, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved, never in the history of the known universe, in the halls of academia or education, has so much truth been closed and condensed and distilled into that one little monosyllable. So, God so loved the world. That's the only description he gives until he finishes the verse. He so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. So that whosoever would simply believe. What does that mean? Trust. Trust in him would never perish but have Everlasting life. Shout, we're going home. The love of God, said the hymn writer, is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell it. Goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The wandering child is reconciled by God's beloved son. The aching soul again made whole. Priceless pardon forever won. Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how marvelous and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. When the greatest theologian of two generations was asked, what is the greatest revelation that you have ever received? He did not hesitate. He lifted his eyes and sang profoundly and prophetically and powerfully. This is it. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. 
in my brokenness and my wandering and my wandering and when everything's gone wrong and nothing goes right and when I mess it up and I turn around and mess it up again, Jesus loves me. This I know. Well, the Bible tells me so. Not only does he love you, but John 3.16 says God gave him to die for you. John 15.13 Greater love has no man. Don't, 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 don't confuse. Humanity is weak, pathetic, pitiful description of love for God's fidelity. Don't put God in human terms. You think somebody loves you because they liked you on Facebook. You think somebody loves you because you drive him around in your car and let him put his hands on things that don't belong to him. He doesn't love you. I was in a hospital waiting room, emergency room. And there were these ladies sitting behind me, one of them waiting to go in and be seen. Her face, one eye swollen shut, lacerations on her face. And her friend was telling her, you have got this time to leave him before he kills you. And do you know what her response was? Oh, that man, he beats me because he loves me so much. He's so jealous. He's an animal. He's worse than an animal. That's not love. A paycheck is not love. Somebody to sleep with is not love. If it was, how come you're not still with them? You need to flush your understanding of love. And don't you ever mix that mess with God's unfailing, unadulterated, unconditional, unequivocal, won't ever leave you love. Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. Sir, ma'am, young person, there's no true Christianity without a cross. That angry, mean, biting beam is the hallmark of a life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the place where God's limitless provision intersects with our most basic need. 
where the furious love of God, and it is furious, it will track you down. It will find you. It will take the garbage off of you. It will dig through your mess. It will get under all the stuff you don't want anybody else to see. It will peer into all the things you're afraid to tell anybody. And having found you there, he will reach into the muck and into the mire and into the defeat and the tragedy and the hurt and the woundedness and pull you Never before, never since has such love been on open display as it was there on Calvary's tree. Words would fail to describe it. The intellect comes up short to help you understand the impact. Your hard questions. His cross. That's the place. For the unfaltering love of Jehovah God expressed through the supreme gift of his only begotten son nailed by tempered spikes into tortured flesh and into splintered wood. And you say, how much does he love me? Watch him. They swung him high and they stretched him wide. So when you ask, how much does he really love me? He shows you this much. Thirdly, not only, not only does Jesus love you, not only did he die for you? But God, God, this is the apex of our hope in God. This is the crescendo of our faith in Jesus Christ. They put him in that tomb. And on the third day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the sepulcher with baskets full of spices to anoint his three-day dead body. But when they got there, he did not greet them. A great big archangel was sitting atop the stone. They peered inside. He was not there. They saw the clothes they'd wrapped him in for burial, folded, laying beside the tomb. And the angels, angels spoke. And he said, here it is again. Fear not. For I know who you're looking for. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. 
and then Joni's favorite verse in all the scriptures. He is not here. Buddha's still there. John F. Kennedy is still there. The esteemed Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is still there. But Jesus, his tomb is not conspicuous because of whose bones lay there. But rather, excuse me, I'm from eastern Kentucky. His tomb is conspicuous because there ain't nobody there. He is risen as he said. If he said it, you can believe it. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. God raised him from the dead. Can I give you another one? He can change your life. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I don't have a theory. I, I don't have somebody's sermon. It's real. It's real. Oh, I know it's real. I know he can change your life. Not because I've seen him instantly and forever change multiplied millions of lives. The greatest proof I have that Jesus can change your life is because he changed mine. I was eight years old. In a year, I'll be 68. Nearly 60 years old. And I can still smell that room. I can see the people. I can remember walking in the side door. I remember that the floor was half some old leftover concrete and half dirt. I can remember the lights because I thought it was awfully dark in there. There were cords strung across the ceiling and hanging down with a socket. They were gold colored and a light bulb screwed in. That was all. Didn't have a screen in the place. Didn't have any $10,000 light bulbs. Why, we certainly had no edifice like this. And to add insult to injury, we were Baptists. There were people in there. Not many. Ten or twelve. It was a Tuesday night. 
and they were talking in some kind of foreign language, doing this and stuff. One of them went to dancing. Now, I don't mean like y'all dance. I don't mean that. I mean, they were dancing like, you ever see those things when at a used car lot, they blow air up in them? That's it. That's the dance. And one lady, she'd go all the way backward and all the way forward. And there were posts in the middle of that little tiny room. And my witness to God, she would dance and throw her head and miss that thing by inches and spin around and never touch it. In the Holy Ghost. You say, well, what were Baptists doing? At a Pentecostal church, it gets worse. They had a woman preaching. I had never seen such a thing. But my parents believed if it's in our neighborhood and they're having a revival meeting, I don't care if you got schoolwork tomorrow, get it done when you come home. Because at 6 o'clock, we're going to church. And we went to church. I don't remember what that woman preached. I had the privilege of recognizing her in the midst of a Dominion camp meeting with 8,000 people here. Her name was Mabel Whipple. She was still preaching at that same little place. And I brought her over here and I put her on the front row. And I brought her up here. And I let people see the woman that preached to less than 20 people. And one person answered the altar call. And I was that boy, eight years old. I tugged on my mama's dress tail. Some of you don't remember that. Women used to use, wear dresses. And, you know, like dresses. And I was standing by my mama. And I reached over. And I took my mama by the tail of her dress. It was real close. It wasn't up to here. It, I could reach it. And I grabbed it. And I tugged on it. She looked at me with that, what you doing, boy? Because it's church. You ain't messing around in church. And with tears coming out of my cheeks, I said, Mom, I want to go to the altar. And she didn't say, well, no, I knew he's going to be a preacher. I'm eight. I got blue jeans on with the cuffs double rolled that thick. I didn't play with Barbie or Ken. I had a stick pony and some cat pistols and a big old collie dog What I was able to ride like a horse. Sister Gillicuddy grabbed one arm. Sister Yay-Yay done shouted her bun off. She's saying, hold on. Sister Gillicuddy saying, let go. I'm like, I don't know what to do. 
they prayed with me. And in those days, you didn't just come check a box. You had to stand there. And you had to tell everybody what happened to you. And so they said, how do you feel? I said, this the only way I know to describe it. Now, my mama, she didn't believe in wasting money. I had a dream about her two nights ago. I woke up, prayed, went back to bed, and had another dream, exactly the same, only it was my father. Both of them were standing on the other side of an open door, and they were asking me to come with them. And I said, I can't yet. I can't. He brought me back from the dead for a reason. But one day, I'm coming home. One day. My mama didn't believe in wasting money. She worked two jobs. My daddy worked two jobs my whole life. We never missed church. We never missed breakfast at the breakfast table and dinner at the dinner table. You say that's impossible. I'll have to disagree. I lived that way my whole life. They said, how do you feel? My mama didn't buy dial or dove. She made her soap, lye soap. Some of you are like, what? It was kind of rough, had chunks in it. Sometimes they scrape you. But it was so strong, she knew it'd get a cowboy playing eight-year-old clean. She'd dunk me down in that tub and scrub me. Whoo! It'd get you clean, take the first three layers of your eight layers of skin off. But you come out clean, wouldn't you, Deborah? I said, you come out clean. And I said, y'all, I was eight years old. Everybody's staring at me. I said, the only way to know, I know to tell you how I feel is this. I felt so dirty inside. I'd done a lot of sin and I was eight. It's not about the sins you've committed. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. And I said, all I know to tell you is I feel clean on the inside. Like my insides have been scrubbed by mama with that lye soap. And I've tried to be clean ever since. I love Jesus today. More than tongue or pen could ever tell. And if he's not real to you,
He's more real to me right now. God brought me back for this morning. Because somebody is making the wrong choice. But you don't have to. People say silly little things like, I'd never serve a God that would send people to hell. Well, good, then let me offer you Jesus. Because he's never sent anybody to hell. Hell was not made for human persons. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. You want to know God's plan for you? It's in Revelation. The book said, he's going to wipe all tears from their eyes. He said... There won't be any more pain forever. There won't be any more death. Can you imagine? There won't be any sorrow. There won't be any crying. And for those who enter the gates of heaven, Here's what they'll hear. Well done. God, with Jesus at his right hand, will say to you, well done. I'm a baby boomer. Our daddies fought in two wars to preserve the freedom of this nation. And they weren't big on words like I love you. Or I'm proud of you. My daddy told me two times in my life he was proud of me. Two times. When I enter the gates of that city, I'll hear him say, Well done. When I get home, I won't have to visit hospitals anymore. I won't have to preach with caskets laying in front of me anymore. I won't have to hold the hand of people like the precious Barb Bender. When her husband preached in this pulpit, kissed his wife on the front row, got on his motorcycle to head home and never made it. I had to sit there and tell her, he's gone. Don't you dare blame hell on God. God made heaven for you. And heaven for your children. Heaven for your spouse. Where he'll say, well done. And there won't be any more funerals and no more hospitals and no more needles and no more opioids and no more death. That's the Jesus I serve. Everybody's standing, no one moving around.
every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm coming home. Jesus, I wandered far away from God, but today I'm coming home. And there aren't enough devils of hell or people of earth that could ever make me doubt that I'm as sure for heaven as if I was already there. I know that I know that I know. But there are many, many right now who may be receiving your last opportunity. Jesus loves you. Think of this flesh ripped off of his back, hanging around his knees like ribbons. He did that for you. So you'd never know what hell looks like. He made heaven for you. But he won't make you go there. God so value, you want to talk about freedom? God so values our personal freedom that he gives us the opportunity to choose. Choose this day, Jesus said, life or death. It's up to you. Heaven or hell, blessing or cursing, you choose. Wow. Wow. I'm not a Christian because I was born one. I'm a Christian because I was born again one. And God gave me a new life, a new lease on life, a new purpose, a new hope, a new joy, a new peace. Head bowed, every eye closed. Reverence to the Holy Spirit. I've got 30 seconds. The number one statement in hell is, I never intended to be here. The number one song is, I did it my way. How's that working out? How's that working out? Jesus, we want to come home. I just heard him say, well, I told you this is the year when the doors open. Tell them to come on in. No judgment. No ridicule. Just open arms of love and reception. He's waiting for you right now. The doors open. This time tomorrow I may be in heaven and you may not be. I, I pray that's not the case, but it's appointed to man one time to die and after that the judgment and unfortunately the death rate among human persons remains stubbornly at 100% I don't know when the next COVID-esque tragedy is coming I don't know when they'll start bombing America the way they're bombing our troops I don't know when the nation will rip itself apart through hatred. I, I don't know. I don't know what your tomorrow holds. I keep a set of my son's clothes. 
who had a light for a crosswalk and walked out into the crosswalk and got run over by a city bus. Had to cut his clothes off. But God spared him. One night in the hospital and back home. I don't know what awaits you. And I know I'm tarrying a moment. I'd walk to the city hall and back on jagged glass if I thought I could spare you hell. Don't go there. Accept Jesus. He loves you so much. Accept him now. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, that's it. You shoot that hand up in the air, and we're going to pray, and God's going to do exactly what we asked him to do. We've been praying the last 24 hours for you, and this is it. It's come down to this. Heaven or hell, life or death, God or the devil, this is it. On three, shoot that hand up. Let's pray and make sure that Jesus is your Savior and you're on your way to heaven. If you don't know that, you should know it and you can know it before you leave this building. I've got to count. Hands are already going up. Do it now. One, two, three. Raise that hand. Leave it up. Leave it up. Don't put it down. Don't put it down. Every person with your hand raised, get out into the nearest aisle and come right here and we're going to pray. Come on. You can't do it in your seat. Come on. Are you ready? Let's give God a great big hallelujah for rescuing and redeeming. Thank you for being in the altar. Hallelujah. Are we ready to pray? You ready? You say, what do I have to give up to be a Christian? Everything that wants to kill you. What do I receive? Everything that wants to give you life and joy and peace and happiness. So let's pray. It's not fancy. Just mean it from your heart. You ready? Heavenly Father, I believe you gave Jesus your only son to die in my place. I believe you love me. You died for me. God raised you from the dead and you can change my life so here it is Jesus here's my life all of it the good and the bad the ugly here it is I believe you can make me over again you can give me a start today a makeover a new life Here I am, come into my heart, forgive my sins, wash me in your blood, give me eternal life. Satan, self, I renounce you. You're not in control. Lord Jesus Christ, I accept you, I believe in you, and I confess you as my Savior and my Lord. I will live for you as you show me how and it feels so good 
to be forgiven, I could just clap and shout out loud. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.